Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarkie visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. How was your week, Paul? And you were very quiet when I asked earlier. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. I was. Um, my week was good. I actually had a uh, a week at work that um, I didn't get yelled at by any grumpy customers. Um, no one was in tears. Uh, it was actually quite a, a normal week. Haven't had one of those for a long time, so it's good. Mm. Well, that is good. Mm. That's a little bit disturbing. Yes. Oh, now you're normal. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, I think things are starting to slow down. I'm oh, not slow down. And normalise. Yes. Excellent. Um, I, I did want to tell you uh, a story, if we can, but we could maybe do that once we've done our introductions. Did you hear about the oh. crocodile attack during the week? No, no well, I didn't. I just thought given the um, chats we've had around alligators of late, uh, it might be worth sharing the story of the crocodile attack in Queensland. Absolutely. I haven't heard about this at all. Wow. Okay. We completely missed it. Oh, I forgot to say last week we had an event for work and um, a bunch of protesters decided to show up, which was <laughs> great. Was that the Daniel Andrews one in Bendigo? Yeah, we... Sorry, they were they, at a work yeah. function they turned up. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we were launching the beautiful new facilities that we've had built with state government funding. And it was a wonderful event, except that... We had, oh, I don't know, a bunch of kill the billers come along because they found out that Premier Andrews was attending. So I missed the whole event because I stood outside trying to make sure they were not going to storm the gates. <laughs> but, yeah, I suppose that was the high and low light of my week. So did you see it, Paul? Because I didn't see anything on TV. Yeah. I did say to one of the protesters who was very nice, and I don't disagree with his choices and I don't, you know, have a problem with anyone's right to their voice. I just wish they'd had it on the steps of Parliament rather than at our lovely event because it overshadowed this whole wonderful building and really good things for our community and economy. And unfortunately, anyone ever anyone saw was about the protest. Never mind, shit happens. Anyway, what about your week, Carla? I don't know, I had a bit of a weird week. I think because I'd come back from holidays, I thought that life would be quite chill and it was anything but. It was sort of like catching up on mothering and parenting and I had a couple of, we had women carnival, this one, that one, had a couple of dinners on. So we've had a busy week, but um, we've been on shark watch over here. It's all a bit sort of highly strung. We still have a shark sort of lurking about. So I've just had the kids at the beach, but we only go in the netted area. But yeah, if there's crocodiles happening in Queensland, it's definitely sharks in WA. Not nice. Not nice. Anyway, just to coincide with the start of summer, the weather's finally improved here at last. We've had so many bad weather, and now we're all waiting to be chomped. You know what I say? You can go into the sea, but never go in further than your knees because it's quite hard for a great white to. Come and chomp you. There is apparently one oh, story of someone going to tell me that, that it did happen too, and that's oh. yeah. That 
I'm never yeah, going did. to the water in front again. of like that happened in oh, Cottesloe Beach in 2000. Oh my god, 21 oh my years god. ago to the day yeah. for the guy last year, and it was some oh. a local mechanic father, and apparently <gasps> it the is to the, the day. Having, it was to the day. Yeah, 21 yeah, years yeah. to day. We were living in. He was, yeah, chomped last Saturday. I think this is our probably <laughs> most um, uh, negative start of a podcast yet. <laughs> <laughs> Protesters. Uh, sharks. So, should we introduce ourselves, and then Clarky can tell us the story of the croc? So, I'm Schmitty. I'm Swatty. And I'm Clarky. And together we are Trial by Wine. So, That's I could volume. share with you a little story if you like, um, because we have been talking a lot about alligators, and you know, we may have said things like. A, long, a meter long alligator is like a goanna or something like that in previous episodes. So anyway, um, during the week, there was a crocodile attack in the uh, far north Queensland. So a, um, a 60-year-old <laughs> man is recovering in hospital after being attacked by a saltwater crocodile during a fishing trip in far north Queensland. Uh, his uh, Cairns Hospital has confirmed that he's in a stable condition. Uh, the ABC understands the man was fishing on the banks of the McIver River last Thursday when his lure became stuck in a tree branch. He was trying to free the lure when the cro crocodile attacked and tried to drag him into the water. The man was able to grip onto a tree branch, reached for his knife and stabbed the reptile in the head, which then crocodile let him go. Dundee. <laughs> it's, ex it's exactly what they said on the news during the week. It was uh, <laughs> a, a, quite funny. So, so a ranger subsequently interviewed the man over the phone. Oh, because he drove himself to hospital once. So he'd been attacked, oh, dragged, yeah, dragged to the water, drove himself to hospital. I sewed my own leg on, but you can pack <laughs> yeah, it up a bit yeah, better when we get there. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's right. He did have trouble with the clutch. Um, but other than that, he was fine. <laughs> no, um, so he said he was trying to shoo a bull, shoo away a bull that was standing on the banks of the river so he could fish from that spot. He described grabbing a branch of a mango mangrove tree and holding on as long as he could while the animal attempted to pull him into the water by his boots. The man said he that as he entered the water, he managed to retrieve his knife from his belt and stabbed the crocodile in its head until it let him go. He then scrambled up the bank and drove to Cooktown Hospital for treatment, <laughs> where he was later flown to Cairns Hospital, where he's recovering. Oh, my word. And, and the department said the I crocodile will not be... <laughs> they said the, the crocodile will not be targeted for removal due to the remote location of the property and lack of public access. <laughs> just let him get on How's with a balloon to his head. How's that? This I'm just going to go... A girlfriend of mine posted um, a photograph I think of her husband had taken, and it was a dugite, which I think I could be wrong, because I don't ever remember hearing about them on the East Coast. I think it's a West Coast snake, but a big snake. There was a snake um, fighting, you know, trying to eat a bobtail, and a bobtail is a big lizard. Anyway, so she posted this photo and I was like, oh, my God, I'm reticent to ask, but where is this? Because I think between sharks and snakes and it's a lot for me to carry. Like I'm walking down the street with the dog thinking, what's going to come out of the bush? And then I get to the beach. It's like I feel like I carry this as an Australian. I'm not, I'm not entirely comfortable with this. And now you tell me this as well. It's like, oh, God, you've got to be like Crocodile Dundee, ready to go, just in case with your knife yeah, in yeah. your pocket. That's right, must have belt. a knife at all times, yeah. I know. 
I, it is a lot. <gasps> <laughs> when I lived in England, people always carried on about how dangerous Australia was because of our dangerous animals. And I used to say, oh, I don't know what you're on about. You know, yeah. it's perfectly safe. Yeah. But, yeah, perhaps something has changed. Maybe animals have taken, it's a take back strategy. And they've yes. decided they're taking yeah. back Australia. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. it certainly depends where you live. And like in the, you know, suburbia where I grew up, I don't remember it being such an issue. Oh my God, over here, it feels like it's the last frontier. I, I feel, I don't know, it's, there's a lot to worry about and I feel like it's just in the back of my mind all the time, just waiting for something to reveal itself to me for me to freak out and think, oh God, yes, I was there all along. To be fair, I have seen nothing, but, you know, in my imagination, it's there ready to pounce or bite. You'd have a bit of yeah. activity on the farm, wouldn't you, Clarkie? Uh, all the time. We, uh, yeah, th there's often stories of snakes. Um, we had a, a little one, a little, probably about two foot long, maybe, um, red-bellied black snake that uh, oh. used to live under the house. We called him Bomber because he was black and red. Go Bombers. Um, <laughs> yeah. People said, oh, you should kill him because um, otherwise he'll, I don't know what they were worried he was going to do, but we just felt we should just leave him alone and uh, he'll be fine. That's the right and thing And he has to do. been so They're far. They're very um, uh, shy, black, uh, red belly black snakes. There's a lot, <laughs> you know, like you, you don't see them that often because they generally try to stay away from you. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, apparently, too, if you've got red bellied blacks, then you don't have browns. So. Well, there's a little education yes. with regards to the flora and fauna of Australia. That's right. They're always out to get us at all times. And that's why <laughs> Australians have this um, joie de vivre, this joy of life. You could be eaten by a shark or a crocodile or bitten by a snake at any moment. You name it. Even a kangaroo might come along and gut you. Yeah. Or, or bitten by a spider. I heard a terrible story about a kangaroo this week too. On yeah. Oh, I was God, just yeah, being yeah, facetious. Yeah. <laughs> this is working quite nicely. So uh, dinner on Friday night with friends and they play golf um, at a golf course in Perth and I've been there with them and there are, you know, kangaroos on the course and it's all lovely until you see some of the big males come because they're very, you know, they, that boxing kangaroo image, they're very intimidating. Anyway, my and they make that a terrible grunt. They do that awful so grunting at you. She posted a picture of them having sex, but she said what I didn't show was she said, you know, there was a male having sex female then another male came over he I, i'm a little bit confused as to who was holding the female but i think it was the one who was actually having sex with her he was holding the female kangaroo he was having sex with and punching the other male kangaroo <laughs> again where have i come back to why do i live in this country i have a struggle with that and I will definitely <laughs> confirm that story, but I couldn't uh, believe it when she was coming at dinner. And she's Russian. Could you imagine seeing that? Oh, my God. An Australian men have oh, a I love that reputation. shit. I that's know. Very... Now we know where they get it from. You yeah, just stay well, there, no, love, that's... while I give him a few quick... <laughs> 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 you, you just... Yeah, I'll just put you in a headlock while I punch this bloke. And, and then we can off, go Robo, back to I'm it. I'm busy. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. like Perth Premier Golf Club. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> a game and a show. It's like... Yeah, if it wasn't Perth's Premier Golf Club, it is now with that kind of action. <laughs> Everyone will be out to have a look, see what's going on there. They're wild animals and they oh. behave um, quite aggressively at times. Yep. Just Absolutely. again for those. It's very intimidating. If you visit, don't go up to a wild kangaroo and think it's going to be skippy because it's not. <laughs> yeah. 
I think we've put every international listener off now. I think we've covered bats <laughs> and the water. What about in the sky? Magpies? No. Anyway. Weather's nice apart Don't from Don't get today. started on spiders. <laughs> oh. Don't start on spiders. <laughs> yes. All right. So what are we <laughs> drinking? Uh, would you like me to go first? Go right ahead. So um, as true to form, remember how the other week we told you that we had all of these wine club memberships turn up? Oh, yeah. Well, yesterday, yesterday we decided we'd go and visit a winery anyway and do some wine tasting. Um, and so we went to Halden Estate and caught up with Tracy there. Halden Estate's a little uh, boutique winery in Beechworth. They make uh, an amazing Chardonnay, uh, which we bought some of. but. Uh, Today we're drinking, because it's so cold, we thought we'd go with a, a Cab Sav from Halden. So it's called the Edgar Wallace. Uh, Edgar Wallace is uh, the father of Tracy's husband, uh, and he passed away uh, a couple of years back, I think, five years back, and they scattered his ashes during the vi- during uh, amongst the vines. And so um, oh, Every bottle has a little bit of Edgar in it, which is kind of nice. How far away is that from Indigo Valley? <laughs> uh, about half an hour. Well, that's close, isn't it? It is close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't realize we have lots of my wineries close. Oh, is that one of the reasons why you live there? The King Valley? Correct. Yes. No, that's another valley. So, yeah, there's oh, lots of wineries in Beechworth, lots of wineries in King Valley, lots of wineries in Rutherglen. Um, Rutherglen is what I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of the... More famous region. Yeah, yeah, Rutherglen. Oh, and you, Carla, what are you? Oh, surprise, surprise. Uh, a big fat diet I... coke. Oh, I was going to say a ginger ninja with Prosecco. Oh, I haven't got myself organised. Uh, no, I'm in between <laughs> taking sort of the beach, whatever else. But uh, no, I was promoting the ginger ninja last night to friends, actually saying that they've got to get it as well. So I just got to get organised. I am drinking a lovely, very nicely chilled glass of Ninth Island. Sauvignon Blanc, which is from a Tasmanian winery, which I have visited, and it is lovely. Very nice. Would you like to hear a little story? Oh, yes, please. I'd love to. So this case, guys, is a little different to our normal chick because it's unsolved. (gasps) It's a mystery. Oh, does that mean we get to, at the end, not only determine yes, the punishment, yes. but also determine who's guilty? Yes! That's the idea. Brilliant. I think we should extend our remit to oh. detective policing and prosecution. Oh, as well as oh. brilliant. We're definitely going to be one that we're going to make up. <laughs> okay. Uh. So the sources for this story are... Oh, that sounds a bit reputable. Hang on a tick. Yes. Hold up. Story, so it's quite reputable. Ridiculous. No, no, Uh-oh. but, it, but it's, it's, a reputa- it's a reputable source. Like, I know. What? I'm, I'm feeling, I'm sorry feeling uncomfortable. That. I've let the side down having a reputable source. Could you, could you at least search you Lab Bible to see if it's in there as well? Yeah. <laughs> It's a bit too big for Lad Bible, but I'll check it out later. <laughs> William Shaw, Fraser Lurie from Classic Rock, Terry Rawlings and Scott Jones and Jeffrey Gugliano, and they wrote books on the topic. 
when you say classic rock, when you say classic rock, is that like a, a radio station or something that no, it's a you got it from? That's how, and, but does that mean there's another musical story? Yes, yes this is. Yes. It sounds like it's like the old person's like everybody else is reading Rolling Stone, but somebody's reading. Well, the story did. Classic <laughs> rock. Rolling Stone yeah. magazine as well. Classic rock, rock, rock. Yeah, I did read it on Rolling Stone as well. So if you want to read more about oh, it, there you go. You can look it up there. So as per usual, wow. you know, I like to do a little bit of context. But this Positively is highbrow. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, this is probably more of a Deirdre Chambers coinky dink than actual context because of the nature of it. Oh, can we can we all just say it then? Can we all just say it? Yep. Deirdre. Three, two, one. Deirdre Chambers. What a coincidence! It's still funny. <laughs> this case is we a need- founding member of a very Exclusive club. Go on, Paul. I was going to say, we just need to um, find a little clip of Deirdre Chambers and put it uh, in the show notes and perhaps on Facebook. For all those people. When we lived overseas what the hell and nobody knew what it was about, exactly. <laughs> it was just, yes. Jeremy and I would use it constantly. We'd be seeing someone who was perhaps married to someone else and they'd turn up with someone and Jeremy and I would just discreetly say to each other, Deirdre Chambers, Deirdre. what a coincidence. <laughs> oh, and we just used to love it. It was like our little so inside, good. wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know what's going on there and no one else would be any the wiser. Brilliant. <laughs> Love it, love it. All right. So today's case is about the death of a founding member of a very exclusive club. It's a club where every member has to be world famous but has to leave all of their friends on joining, and it's not a cult. Any guesses? World famous and has to leave their friends on joining, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Um, when you die, do you leave your friends? When you die. When you, when yeah, you die, it's, right? it's It's a oh. death club. Oh, how lovely. Is that like Nexium, only different? Yes, it's a bit different. Just a bit. Oh, I'm probably jumping ahead, so I might be quiet. I'm sure you could be right. Go on. No, I'll say it, Helen. No, so could you just repeat what it was? You had to be world famous. World famous, leave everyone else behind. Okay, so you're just a world famous person who dies. Is there actually a club or no? No, it's just a stupid phrase that someone coined. Right. That's, okay, that's what I thought you meant. That's right. I'm clear. Right. Now it's making sense. So you know what I'm talking about, but you're not making a guess at it. Okay. It's the 27 Club. Oh, yes, I have heard of this. Yeah. I've not heard of it. All the people who died when they were 27 years old. Are you joking? Is that right, Clark? Are you pulling my dick? (laughs) I am not. I am 100% not pulling your dick, Veronica. Oh, my God. All right. So the 27 Club. What is it? It was a phrase that was coined when Kurt Cobain died. Because yeah. he was 27 years old when he died. But was uh, he? the person there I'm going Yeah. So I was can Amy Winehouse. is coming in now. <laughs> Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and Jim Morrison all died at 27. Who knew? What a coinky dink. That's right. Deirdre Chambers. Yeah. Kurt Cobain. What a coincidence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Most of those people died, uh, or their deaths involved drugs because drugs are bad kids. Um, although Amy Winehouse's death was attributed to alcohol poisoning. However, one of the famous She may have deaths... dabbled. <laughs> you... <laughs> yeah, yeah. may have dabbled. The uh, first unlikely. ever. No, I know. Well, it depends on who you believe. 
first ever member of the 27 Club. Uh, his actual official death, according to the coronial inquest, was death by misadventure. And this Jesus. case has actually been reviewed three times by the British police um, in the 40 years since it happened, and the last one is 2009. So who is he? Lewis Brian Hopkins Jones, who went by Brian Jones. So let's call him BJ for short. Was born in Cheltenham on the twenty eighth. Was born in Cheltenham on the twenty eighth of February, nineteen forty two, and in a town that was very similar to my old stomping ground of Bath, uh, which was Cheltenham, being a, a Regency city, a very yeah. pretty place. Very nice. Young BJ had an attack of croup at the age of four, which left him with asthma that lasted for the rest of his short life. In fact, there's every chance that asthma was a factor in his death. 24 years after that attack. BJ was a musical super talent, mastering reeds, recorder, harmonica, and even the harp. He had a restless mind and a seemingly bottomless talent. I just love that someone's mastered the recorder finally. <laughs> well, I certainly never managed to do so in grade he, six. He could totally play Mary Had a Little Lamb on it flawlessly. <laughs> he was very, very, very uh, talented, but I'm guessing by your reactions, that you didn't know what band he was in. I can't recall, no, but I think I'm wrong. Brian Jones was a founding member of the Rolling Stones. Uh-huh, yeah. Right. Who are they? Yeah. <laughs> I... You mean the magazine? <laughs> There's actually a couple of pensioners these days. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few octaves, generic. Yeah, they're never going to make the 27 Club. 2700 Club, maybe. 27,000. No. Bill Wyman, the Stones bass guitarist, said after his death he formed the band. He chose the members. He named the band. He chose the music we paid. He got us gigs. He was very influential, very important, and then slowly lost it. He was highly intelligent and just kind of wasted it and blew it all away. Oh, blew it all away, like as in cocaine addiction? I think he did everything. Right. So BJ was instrumental. Get it? Ah. Such numbers as <laughs> <laughs> a satisfaction, get off my cloud, paint it black, and jumping jack flash. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, no, so he was a band member. That's it's a gas, gas, gas. From sixty-two to sixty-nine, and uh, in those in that period of time, they actually had uh, tons of hits. So it wasn't like a guy started with them and then left yeah. before they were famous. He was very much yeah. part of them when they were famous. On Jumping Jack Flash, though, I don't know if you guys have seen it. I'm sure you have. There was a film in the 80s with Whippy Goldberg. It was such love, love I, I loved that film. And my favourite bit of it, I think, is when she's trying to work out the um, password and she's listening to Jumping Jack Flash over and over again. She's like, Mick, Mick, speak English. Because you can't understand a word he's saying. <laughs> and he's singing, I was proud and I crashed my heart. Right? And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, it, yes. Yes. That was a piss. And the, the two other bits I like when she goes into the embassy and she does the Diana Ross. I need love, love to ease my mind. That's a classic. And then yeah. I'll just say the disappointment. When Jack, when we finally see what Jack looks like right at the end of the film, and it's Jonathan Price, 
and his face does not fit his voice whatsoever. You know who Jonathan Price is, yeah? <laughs> you know the High Sparrow who got toasted by Cersei in Game of Thrones in the Green Fire? Ah, yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's Jonathan Price. Yes. Obviously much older. Yes, but yeah, right. So not, not, I wouldn't say he was an amazing looker. It's a bit of a shame because, you know, you build up, mm. when you hear this voice all the way through it, you build up this idea of this gorgeous man and, and then Jonathan Price walks in the room. Anyway. Well, he might be gorgeous on the inside. Oh, he's got a great voice too. Close your eyes and think of England, I guess. Anyway, in 1969, his bandmates had reached their limit with BJ's increasing drug use and erratic behaviour, and he was sacked from the Rolling Stones by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. <laughs> if Keith Richards is sacking you, you must have a real problem. Yeah, but this is quite early on. <laughs> but I'll take it <laughs> I think I might read yes. somewhere that... Keith Richards sacked him and then took up the baton. Yeah, just took all of Absolutely. his drug hoard when and started Keith Richards is in HR, worked at people who need to be admonished for, you know, unruly, mm. what was it, sorry, misadventure. Mm. There are a couple of things that happened. Keith Richards actually stole Brian Jones's girlfriend. Makes sense. Well, she started going with him instead of Brian Jones. Because he was bad on the drugs. So there's a bit of bad blood there. And I seem to recall something about them needing to go to America or doing a tour in America. And there was an issue because of him being on the drugs. And so he couldn't do the touring because yep. he was so out of control. And I think at this point they were massive and they, there was a lot to do with why they just said he had to leave the band. So they agreed that he... Hey, is, is it... Sorry, is, is it true that Perth's Premier Golf Course has footage of Keith Richards with his girlfriend in a headlock while he's punching <laughs> Brian Jones? Whilst having sex with her. Well, obviously, because yeah. that's, what, that's what you do at Perth's Premier Golf Club. You go on the Golf Club, which I will not name. No, no, but you not, go not there to have sex with but I will not. Oh, my God. They actually don't. They don't even play golf there. They just go for like dinner and a show. Yes. <laughs> Kangaroo sexy time. Yeah. <laughs> perhaps not the Keith Richards and perhaps not the Brian Jones, but maybe we could just name those kangaroos Keith Richards and Brian Jones and leave I it like that. that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the girlfriend. Oh, I can't remember her name. It's Annika or something like that. It starts with an A. Oh, it'll be coming. We'll something. Yeah, no? that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh and then he God. stayed is with it? her for twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Keith Richards stayed with her for twenty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Jeez. it. Yeah. You, you, you're, you're now my um. Yeah, like pop culture. What? Oracle. I can picture. Her. I didn't know. I couldn't remember which one she was with, but I just know she's got that very blonde, maybe like a like a blunt fringe, and like she's super cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. She might still be alive, Same. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone except Brian Jones is still alive. <laughs> oh, no, no, oh, no, 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 died, no, 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 Recently. Charlie, um, Charlie? Charlie Watts? Yeah, Charlie Watts died recently. Yeah. What? Yeah. Charlie Watts. Uh, name, name the members of the Rolling Stones, uh, Keith Richards <laughs> and Mick Jagger. <laughs> That's about all I could do. And, and I couldn't spot Keith Richards in a lineup. <laughs> Oh my god, it's definitely her Schmitty, yes. Anita Pallenberg. She's a German model. Yep, we yep, that's the that's one. It. Got it right. Yep. Okay. All right. So he's sacked. Um, and then the agreement was he could announce his departure from the Stones in whatever way he saw fit. He retreated to his large country house called Cotchford Farm. 
which for those of us with a penchant for literary trivia, was once owned by A.A. Milne. Oh. Nice. Pooh Bear? Is that Pooh Bear? That's Correct. the one. Yep. That's the one. Yep. Yes. I know so much. Nailed it. Nothing. A.A. <laughs> Milne had a house around the corner from us in London too. There was like, a, you know, the little blue plaques they had, Schmitty? Yeah. At the same time. I'm sure they would have had many, but there's one like, maybe they had like a, a city, what's how their city, a townhouse. Within weeks of leaving the band, Brian Jones was found dead in his swimming pool. Mum, it sounds like misadventure to me. <laughs> there were many conspiracy theories about Brian's death, including that he was killed by the royal family because he was having an affair with Princess Margaret. Good old oh, Margaret. Jesus. She was yeah. She was hot. I think she was a goer. Well, anyway. I think certainly the actress, is it Vanessa Kirby, who plays her in The Crown, she is gorgeous. Yeah. I just, I just wish she would, uh, she'd, I just wish she'd hide cigarettes or, or store cigarettes in her bun. That would make her a lot more beehive. cool in my, yeah, her beehive. What? A so little she bit like, like Dot Cotton from EastEnders. <laughs> well, I, well, I was thinking more like Patsy Stone, you know, from Bing Bing and Bing. Just <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I can. I am recalling Pats and her beehive full of cigarettes with cigarettes. Yeah, joints. Correct. If he was the victim of murder or manslaughter, it was by forced drowning, but not by a royal hitman. Well, anyway, I won't even say that. I'll allow you guys to be the judge, jury, executioner, prosecution, police, the lot. Challenge but, accepted. By the way, you might think it wouldn't be too difficult a task to knock BJ off, given he was a major drug addict and alcohol consumer and had lifelong asthma, but then again, he was a really good swimmer. So what transpired on that fateful night? According to the Sussex Police Do records... Tell. I will. Jones's Swedish girlfriend, Anna Wallen, threw a small party with Frank Thoroughgood, Jenny Lawson and Brian Jones. All three gave statements to police within six hours of the death, saying that Jones was drunk or had been drinking. Lawson said he had been taking sleeping tablets. They all said independently they all said they independently left the pool and went to separate areas of the house minutes before he drowned alone. Frank Thoroughgood was really? a builder hired by Jones to undertake work on the house. In fact, he was staying at Jones's home with his girlfriend Janet Lawson, who actually discovered Jones's body in the pool. Apparently, it is common for those who work for the rich and famous to become hangers-on and to start to assume their friends. Thoroughgood was allowed to throw parties at Cotchford and bask in the glow of the celebrity. On the day of Jones's death, he and Thoroughgood argued over a bill that the builder claimed Jones hadn't paid. Thoroughgood gave a newspaper interview in which he told the reporter he went for a cigarette and when he went back to the pool, he saw BJ at the bottom of the pool. Now, the thing about that is it's the 60s, right? So I'd go to have a cigarette somewhere else. Mm. It, Correct. It, I doubt they had a designated smoking give, area. <laughs> it must be hard to give a BJ at the bottom of the pool too. I think it's damn nigh impossible without drowning. So, <laughs> like you, Carla, I thought it was very strange, but, you know, because yes. let's face it, the only, way that, the only reason you would go somewhere else to have a cigarette is if you didn't have your darts on you at the time. He wasn't going off to the smoking nook. Exactly. Yes. He could just go around the corner and stay away from yeah. everyone else in 1969. Yeah. We don't want any secondhand smoke. No, no, no we don't. No. Uh, Anna Wallen passive. was Brian. I don't know how much. There wasn't much passive going on around here. They were all in. 
No. Very aggressive. <laughs> aggressive drug use. Correct. Anna Wallen was Brian Jones's girlfriend, and she told the coroner that an asthma inhaler was found at the edge of the pool. The day after Brian Jones died, the Daily Mirror dramatically published on the front page an article about it. And in the darkness beside a swimming pool early yesterday, she, Anna, tried to breathe life back into her pop star boyfriend. She failed. Minutes earlier, Anna, a 22-year-old Swedish student, had been swimming with Jones in the pool in his Sussex farmhouse. For a few minutes, she'd gone inside. She returned to find 27-year-old Jones unconscious. Hmm. Dead, dead or unconscious? Feel like dead. dead. Unconscious. But... Was he at the bottom of the pool? Yeah. It, it's. It's. I'm well, glad you asked that. Uh, there are multiple accounts. From what I can understand, he was at the bottom of the pool. Okay. The mirror also yeah, said Anna said went to the BJ was. Old mate said the BJ was at the bottom of the pool. I believe that he sunk. You know, at, like like when we talked about um, poor Marie Joseph. Pretty much yeah, you yes. sink and they come oh, up later. For a couple of days. Yeah. Well, in this case, no, they pulled him out pretty quickly and the pool was clean. True. It's the one good thing we can say for it. <laughs> you could see the bottom. You could. The mirror also said Anna went into hiding 24 hours after failing to save Brian Jones's life. 30 years later in a memoir, she what? blamed Fra Frank. Th Sorry, did you change names then? Did you say Anita then? No, no, Anna. The Mirror also said Anna went into hiding right. 24 hours after failing to save BJ's life. 30 years later, in a memoir, she blamed Thank Frank Thorogood for killing Brian Jones, but that's not what she said to the police at the time. She also said that the Rolling Stones management really know what happened. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. The, the Rolling Stones management, I feel like that's Keith Richards and Mick Jagger because they're the ones who sacked Brian Jones. Wouldn't you normally get management to do the sacking? That's a really good question because I'm quite unclear as to who the Rolling Stones management were at the time. I've read multiple accounts. Another character who comes into it in a minute has been described as their manager, but I don't think he was. So it's all, I'm just not clear on who it is. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I uh, uh, we love theatrics. <laughs> yes. Now, now I'm in suspense to tell. Tom Keylock was Brian Jones's driver and a fixer for the Rolling Stones. He was a paratrooper veteran. A fixer. No, fixers like um, a, cl a cleaner, yeah. I reckon. You know, like who kill cleans everything after a murder. Or makes problems it's go funny away. Funny you should say that, Paul. Funny you should say that. So, so he's already guilty in my eyes. Isn't he the person who sort of does the dirty work? Doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he saw, he makes away. Kills, yeah. Yeah, it makes away. problems yeah. go away. Yeah, it, makes what they need to have happen happen and gets rid of problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tom Keylock was his driver. He was also a paratrooper veteran from the Battle of Arnhem in World War Two. He says he was called to the scene to try to keep a lid on the situation. He was never formally interviewed by the police, but later claimed he had coaxed a deathbed confession out of his friend Thorogood. Oh. However, as you'd say, Paul, that's hearsay. So really it's, us to, it's up to us trial by whiners to decide if it's admissible or not. Oof, now the plot thickens. 
Janet Lawson was Tom Keylock's girlfriend and a 26-year-old nurse. And this is a bit that just does not add up for me. She was the first person... A year away from joining the 27 Club. <laughs> She was the first person to find Brian Jones dead at the bottom of the pool. So why did the paper say that it was Adams trying to breathe life what? into him if Janet found him and was a nurse? She wouldn't have been able to get him out, though. No, 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 she, didn't, she couldn't get she him couldn't. out. For 40 years, she was considered to be the least important person at the cottage that night. But nearly 40 years later, in an interview with journalist and BBC producer Scott Jones, Janet gave more insight onto the events before and after BJ's death than the rest of the main players put together. And I will cover that soon. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Alan Klein was an American businessman, music publisher, writer's representative and record label executive. He was known for his tough persona and aggressive negotiation tactics, many of which affected industry standards for compensating recording artists. He didn't trust the Sussex police, so he undertook his own investigation using private investigators and he, and he concluded that Tom Keylock was the only suspect, even though he knew Keylock's claims to have heard Frank Thurgood's deathbed confession. No way. There you go. Yep. Even though he claimed to have known Frank Thurgood's deathbed confession. Was anyone else there at the time? Was anyone else there at the time of the deathbed confession? Oh, no. Not that I'm aware of with the deathbed confession. Yeah. Shock me. Exactly. It's all very convenient, isn't it? Guilty. <laughs> after after interviewing uh, Janet Lawson and Anna Wallen, he was in no doubt that Keylock had done the dirty deed, but they were too scared of him to testify. So the two ladies were terrified of Tom Keylock. Is the is the dirty deed the murder? Is the dirty deed the murder or the getting your girlfriend in the headlock whilst you're having sex with her and punching Brian Jones in the head? Because that <laughs> sounds like a dirty deed too. <laughs> it doesn't sound like the best deed, but it's not as dirty a deed as murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a. Maybe it's just an un, an an unclean deed. Slightly soiled. Yeah, slightly soiled deed. That a, one. Gr a grubby deed. Mm, it's a grubby deed. That's a good one. I like that grubby deed. Those kangaroos and their grubby deeds. That's right. Those Perth golfers and their grubby deeds. It's perves they are, and that does not reflect on Carla. Uh, oh. Sam Cutler was the former tour manager for the Rolling Stones <laughs> who also pointed the finger at Tom Keylock. So now we've got two people who think he did Guilty. Oh, order in the court. Order in the court. He's guilty. <laughs> he claims Keylock had admitted to him that he was there when Brian Jones died. Remember earlier he said he was there to... Called to the scene afterwards to clean it up. Yep. Not there when he actually died. So Cutler claimed Keylock acted suspiciously in the ensuing days, removing and destroying items from Brian Jones's diary. Brian Jones's from his diary. Is that what I just said? You don't have items in your diary. You have words in your diary and pages in your diary and stuff. Liquid paper. Oh no, you're right. I don't even know where I got diary from. What you meant I is time capsule. A man like that would keep a diary. I thought, God, if you're that off your face, why would you bother keeping a diary? I have no idea where I got that from. It's not even on the page. 
It's not anywhere. I, just, <laughs> I don't understand where I've got to go. Oh, no. Stop it. Oh, sorry. Now, he claimed Keylock acted suspiciously in the ensuing days, removing and destroying items from his house. House, not diary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm glad I question question everything, I say. (laughs) Quite right, quite right. His fan club chairman, obviously someone going to believe it, Trevor Hobley, published a claim that a neighbour saw a large bonfire on Brian Jones's property on the morning after the drowning. Cutler said, my gut feeling is that he was ripping Brian off on some level or another. He said that both Wallen and Lawson were both were terrified of Keylock, who had threatened them with violence. Cutler was the person who organised Wallen's escape to Sweden. However, he also thought it would be a good idea to have the Hells Angels controlled security at the Ultimate Speedway Free Festival concert in New York just four months after Brian Jones died. That ended up with an angel murdering a crowd member on camera and right in front of Mick Jagger as the band played Under My Thumb. So maybe he's not the best person to rely on for decision-making. My God, what? Yes, there was... It's another scandal slash story, but... From memory, a man in the crowd climbed up on a speaker... And the Hell's Angels, Hell's, sorry, Hell's Angels had been organised to be security. And I'm not quite sure why, whether it was a PR thing or yeah. it was cheap labour. Anyway, this guy climbed up on a speaker, may or may not have been on drugs, and yeah. pulled a knife or something, or that's the allegation anyway, uh, and we're not really sure. So there was, it was... I can't remember the actual details, so I'm not really telling the story properly at all. But the man was killed by the Hell's Angels and no one was prosecuted for it. And it would appear that a pretty innocent man was killed un- completely unnecessarily. And it was caught on camera, but it was quite uh, fuzzy, I think, so hard to tell what was really happening. God. Yeah, I'll have to research that properly and tell the story more efficiently or properly. Uh, no, I think it sounds good. I, I feel like old mate jumping on speakers deserves to be murdered on camera, you know. It's just unnecessary. Um, I'm still struggling with the whole thing about An- Annika, no, Anita, Anna, Anna Waller. Um, Anna. Um, and esca- escaping to Sweden. Isn't that where she was from? Is that also called returning home? <laughs> yeah. There was a thing in the paper about her going to hiding. Um, so I think she disappeared back to Sweden to avoid the press or coverage. Yeah. yeah also may have been traumatised. And... It just went home. Yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, hang on, hang on. I'll do it for you. Yeah, you. <laughs> yes. Yes, because going home is not melodramatic. Escaping back to Sweden is more the tone that we're looking for, isn't it? Exactly. Or as, or as Carla would prefer, I'll do this one for you, Carla, or I got this one. Ready? Oh! Hey! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amos! Oh, 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 it just keeps playing. Thank you for doing that just... for me. Can we all say heinous now? Even my kids love that noise. Oh, yeah, heinous crimes. Heinous. Yeah, heinous. 
Yeah, it's the only time penis. I would ever use that word. Penis. Penis crack. <laughs> All right, sorry. Back to this guy. So yes. there were a couple of quite credible investigative journalists and authors who have looked into this. Two books about the drowning were published in 1994, one by Jeffrey Gigliano, one by Terry Rawlings. In 2004, a second edition of Rawlings' books was published, and in 2008 there was an account of an interview between Scott Jones and Janet Lawson who hadn't spoken publicly about the drowning for nearly 40 years. And before you interrupt me, I'm just going to remind you, she was a trained nurse. Yes. So I remember before when the Anna was reported as in the mirror as trying to resuscitate him, why didn't the trained nurse try and do that, not the 22-year-old Swedish model? Okay, Paul, go ahead. I just want um, Rawlings' book to be called Tone, so it can be Rawlings Tone, <laughs> and it can be a, an investigation into how Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones died. Escape Sorry, by Rolling Stone. I just couldn't get uh, Rolling Stone. <laughs> Sorry. Cracker. I had to, I had to get that out of my head. It was just bouncing around in my head. Now I can listen again. You can move no, on now. All right. So yes. Jeffrey Gugliano, yes. who is also a well-known music industry author, concluded that Brian Jones's death was the result of Tom Keylock calling the shots from the side of the pool, while the others held Brian Jones under. Oh, but why? So there's Jeepers. some argument that it was just skylarking. By the way, guys, if next time I'm at your place and we're in your pool, no skylarking. Skylarking is not to be <laughs> no, had. In fact. No. No it's skylarking. Like no, no, no diving, no skylarking, no, sky no bombs. Larking. No misadventures. I like to tell you in the Simpsons where they call it roughhousing. No roughhousing. Roughhousing. Rough so Guliano thinks it's manslaughter at worst but not murder. I feel like he just said that it was murder. No, he said it was skylarking. I mean, so they just held him under head under the water just that little bit too long. But even so. Oh, I don't, but I, old mate's calling the shots. None of it makes any sense. There are so many contradictions in this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on. Heinous. Rawlings interviewed Keylock and wrote a book about what he thinks really happened. In the 2004 book, oh, far out, I'm doing it again. Tone. In the 2004 book, Tone. There we go. Terry, it's... It's Terry. No, it's Rawlings Tone. Rawlings Tone. Rawlings Tone uh, claimed that Keylock told him that Thoroughgood had confessed to him saying it was me that did it, I just finally snapped. And remember, this was after Brian Jones had allegedly argued with him about an unpaid bill. So Thoroughgood allegedly confessed to the murder to crazy Keylock. Yeah. So it's the other prime suspect. Yeah, nice. Keylock told Rawlings, what people don't know. What people don't know is that very strong hash cakes were made. That's why they were all stoned and they didn't know what day it was. Janet told me she didn't remember anything as she was off her head. They all were. I was the only one who wasn't stoned. But remember, he also said he wasn't there till later. He said he was called to help con- uh, contain the situation. Strangely enough. Mm, hash cakes. <laughs> strangely <laughs> enough, Keylock had a brother who was a senior Scotland Yard CID officer. Ooh. He told Rawlings 
that his brother told him BJ's investigation was a cover-up because of mistakes by local police. Keylock said, I think the police want to make manslaughter charge, but they were told to forget it. The only one who could possibly have been charged was Frank Thorogood because he was the only one in the pool. But the police said, just forget it. The orders came from the very top not to pursue it anymore, and it was never pursued after that. So that's, that's investigative uh, yeah. journalist and BBC producer Scott Jones, no relation to Brian Jones, has had... Or Tom, that's or right. Or Tom. Well, maybe he, maybe he is related. We just don't know. <laughs> or my friend Margaret, Margaret Jones. Maybe Tom. Yeah. He has had the latest and perhaps most powerful insight into how Brian Jones died. In an interview with Janet Lawson, remember the nurse, he also interviewed the four policemen involved in the investigation. Lawson said, the police were trying to put words in my mouth. She said she was exhausted after being questioned to four or five in the morning, so she asked if she could come back and give another statement later that day with a clearer head. They said she could, but asked her to sign for what she'd given them so far. She thought they'd call her back, but they never did. right. What? What? Yes. Hang on. So she... She wants to go so she can come back with a clearer head and give another statement. They never called her back. She never wanted to go back in and correct her muddled statement. Sus. It seems that she and the other woman, Anna, were frightened of Key Lock. So she probably just thought, look, they didn't call me back. I let it go. I'm going to escape to Sweden with Anna. At the time of Jones's death, Janet had claimed that she was at his house because she had decided to spend a few days in the country. In fact, she told Scott Jones that her boyfriend, Tom Keylock, had asked her to go to keep an eye on Brian. She said there was something in the air. Frank was acting strangely, throwing his weight around a bit. Is that what Fernando was written about? (laughs) There was something in the air? Something in the air, that's right. The stars were bright. Fernando. Fernando. Brian Jones. Poor Brian Jones. After everyone ate dinner, Lawson said Thoroughgood was larking about with Brian Jones in the pool. After a while, when Brian Jones was in the pool alone, he asked her to find his asthma inhaler. Lawson said she looked by the pool, then the music room, the reception room, and then the kitchen. She said Frank came into the kitchen in a lather. His hands were shaking. He was in a terrible state. I thought the worst almost straight away and went to to the pool to check. Well, wasn't the asthma pump found by the pool? Correct. Land. In, yes. Yes. <gasps> yes. <laughs> yes. Key evidence happening right there. She continued, when I saw Brian on the bottom of the pool and was calling for help, Frank initially did nothing. I shouted for Frank again as I ran towards the house and he burst out of it before I reached it ran to the pool and instantly dived in. She told Scott Jones that she wondered how Thoroughgood knew Brian Jones was at the bottom of the pool. Lawson ran back to the house and tried to call the police, but Anna Wallen was on the phone and wouldn't get off it. <laughs> Some, someone's died, yeah, but I'm talking to my friend. I'm sorry, I've called Sweden. I can't afford I to call Sweden. from my own home, so. Yeah. I have Stockholm on the line. That's right. That's right. Go away. I'm busy. And it's between five and six, and that's when calls are cheap. So come back after six and you can call the police. (laughs) Trunk calling, is that what they used to call it? Yes. That's it. 
That always involved an elephant. <laughs> I don't understand why she wouldn't get off the phone. Lawson told Scott Jones that it was her guest. It's it's a little bit like it's a bit like my sister who used to talk on the phone for like two hours. So my my You're sister is the dead. Phone. And, and the, yeah, they brought out these things called TTYs, and so it was like a little keyboard, and you would attach the phone to it, and you'd type, and your friend who had one would type, and up would Go come ahead. the words on the screen, so you could just talk to each other. This is in the I don't know mid eighties kind of thing, yeah, and so it. she would spend. Oh, so she would spend hours TTY talking to her friends. And I feel like if I had have come in saying someone's drowned in the pool, I need to ring the police, <laughs> she would have said, I don't give a fuck because you get to talk to your friends all the time. I'm deaf. I can't talk to my friends all the time. So you just have to wait for me. That's probably the same thing that Anna was going Were you the little brother? Yeah, yeah, 100%. She'd be like, bugger off. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Someone died. Tell mum. Yeah. Yeah. How many people have died? Mum would have said, "Leave your sister alone. She doesn't get much time to talk to her friends." Exactly. <laughs> Just leave me. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. But, but someone mum, there's died. someone at the bottom of the care. pool. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's on the phone. Yes. Respect her space. Give her some time. That's yeah. right. Yes. Just be patient. Sorry, well, that is, I think, precisely what happened here because Anna was like, I'm <laughs> Swedish. I'm not deaf. I'm Swedish. Yes. And uh, Anna, uh-huh. it's your boyfriend who's on the bottom of the pool. Yes, but I'm on a call. I mean. But I'm, I'm on my Swedish TTY. <laughs> Lawson told Scott Jones that it was her guess that Thoroughgood had not intended to kill Jones, but his death was probably the result of horseplay that had got out of hand. Horseplay? Not yeah, skylarking. So any... Skylarking. Shenanigans are probably <laughs> yeah. next. Shenanigans, I reckon. Just, I just want to know: was there any? Um, was there a horse in the backyard at all, or were there any hoof prints? Oh, I don't think that. But this was such a botched investigation. I don't think anyone <laughs> even looked for horse. Terrible prints. hoof prints. Sorry, horse. That would have. That would have ruled out horseplay, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think we've got another case of the defective detective here. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. There were only four of them, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. Scott Jones also interviewed the policeman on duty that day. PC Albert Evans was the first officer on the scene, arriving as ambulance crews tried to resuscitate Brian Jones. He searched the house and Did he arrive on horseback? Because <laughs> that, that would have ruined the evidence of any horseplay. You're right. Maybe You're that's right. why they didn't Maybe check. that's why they didn't check. That's why, that's they, didn't, why they didn't. Yeah, exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Good chat. Good chat. Oh, it's hailing, it's hailing outside now. Oh, yeah, and I thought I was going to get the noisy it. weather. So um, he searched the house and took possession of a number of bottles of spirits and various bills. Okay, here's another complete discrepancy. PC Albert Evans, most English name ever, said his early impression was that there were initially more people around than the three witnesses represented in the official police file. So you know how you said earlier whether or not there were more people? I thought that's what you're talking about. 
I thought, wow, you're psychic. So there's a Netflix program that actually suggests that there are at least a dozen people there at the time, not just six. But we well, have no quite idea. It's an intimate who... crowd for a rock star who has hanger honors. Do you know what I mean? Isn't it seems it? very mm. small. Yeah, 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 it is. Even I thought that at the beginning, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't happen um, at one yes, of your yes, parties, eh, Carla? Never. <laughs> you know, you've always got the hanger on us. <laughs> That's right. And everybody knows, all these people, you'll, you know, have so many people on their payroll. Everybody's hanging around for, you know, a bit of stardom, a free feed, accommodation. Everybody's in for what they can get. So it'd be unlikely that it would yeah. be. I, I wouldn't imagine there'd be many nights when there were four people at that house. There's probably parties every night with lots of people. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I agree entirely. So he guessed some sort of altercation, drug-induced, alcohol-induced. He noted Frank Thorogood was the one who had been in the pool with Brian Jones. He admitted there was nothing at the time to connect Thorogood directly, just feelings. Feelings. <laughs> nothing more than Feelings. Oh. Feelings. That can be quite connecting, though, can't they, feeling? They can. <laughs> they can indeed. Evans was sure that Bob Marshall, the chief investigating officer, had the same feeling, but he was more certain about it than Evans. However, Evans did write a letter to the Sussex chief constable in 1994 saying, I personally was not convinced that we were given the correct story as put forward by Thoroughgood. So there's a... We've got... Keylock so saying Thoroughgood did it. We've got some policemen um, saying, policemen they saying there were more people the there and that no one's telling the truth. Had done it. Evans was never asked to attend the original inquest, so he didn't get to express his policeman's instinct, otherwise known as feelings. <laughs> Nothing more than feelings. <laughs> I think that's what they policeman's take. Policeman's instinct. Policeman's yeah. instinct. <laughs> Are policemen's instincts any different to anyone else's instincts? <laughs> They're deeper. Da -da. <laughs> We're stung by Barbara Streisand. That's exactly. Play that sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> That's <what it's> <laughs> Another policeman on the scene in the early hours of July the 3rd was drug squad officer PC Mike Harvey, who found five capsules of Durafet and amphetamine <laughs> known as Black Bombers, in Thoroughgood's coat. Thoroughgood told Harvey, I look after them for Brian so he won't take too many at a time. That's interesting because that would have constituted unlawful possession. However, no charges were laid. He was only cautioned. Mm. Mm. I feel like the fixer would have carried the drugs anyway. Yeah, well, I'm still not sure when the fixer arrived. Hang on, so Thoroughgood, not the fixer, had the drugs? The builder had the drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Scott Jones interviewed Harvey, who told him a caution was unusual in those days because the police were trying to stamp down hard on drugs. But Detective Chief Inspector Bob Marshall decided that it shouldn't be followed up. DCI Marshall later denied to Scott Jones that he knew anything about the drugs. What drugs? What are you talking about? Harvey said when he met Sussex Police Chief Constable T.C. Williams at 9am, he started to brief him what had happened, but he was already aware of the details of the case. Clearly someone else had already briefed him and Harvey clearly thought it may have been DCI Marshall. Harvey's statement on the day was never presented to the coroner. What? Just, I know, it is it's baffling. Baffling. Detective. De it's very defective. De de def 
Defective inspector. Defective inspector Stuart Booth was the officer that prepared media briefings for the Sussex police each time the case was revisited. And he told Scott Jones that he thought it very strange that Harvey's account was never given to the coroner. Booth said, I would have expected it to have gone before the coroner and people have asked Frank Thorogood what drugs he gave to Brian Jones, how many, when, times and dates, where he got the drugs from and did he give any other unlawful drugs to Brian Jones on that night, bearing in mind the toxicology toxicology report showed there was an unidentified purple spot on his liver. Does that even mean? What even is that? Is that cancer? I have no idea. It was just a purple spot. The liver was also twice the size of a normal liver. (coughs) That's probably more important. That could be why he died. It's probably cirrhosis of the liver, yes. Was it his liver was like a (laughs) powerlifting liver because it had to... (laughs) Yes. It had so much work to do. Yeah. It was like an uber liver. Lots of, yeah, it took lots of steroids. Yeah. Woo! We're gonna, we can carry the weight of all this abuse. We'll just double in size. Or maybe it just had mercurochrome on it. The purple spot could have just been mercurochrome. Do you remember that? Like a cutter abuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Your whole scab would disappear, <laughs> but you'd still have yeah. this red spot on you. From the Mercurocom, yeah. Oh, I haven't heard the word scab for such a long time. It's nice to hear the word scab. It does bring you back to childhood, doesn't it? A Mercurocom scab. Oh, this reminds time. me of all those hangers on that ask you for money that BJ must have seen plenty of. Scabs. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Jones met another Sussex officer who who cannot be named, but who knows the case well. That officer made claims about how Anna Wallen's statement had been produced. Wallen had been given sedatives by the doctor and had to be actually woken up during the interview. <laughs> the officer said that the woman... detective, Yeah. The woman detective constable who wrote that statement was told what to write by Bob Marshall. Bob Marshall was controlling it. The evidence that was written down, he was pushing the buttons. The officer told Scott... This is crazy. It just... It sobers up. The officer told Scott Jones that a detective chief inspector would not push the buttons without an order from above to do so, meaning the chief constable must have been given the instructions to leave out the drugs. When Scott Jones interviewed Marshall on the telephone, he said he kept a detailed file on the case, despite retiring in 1974. Reading from a letter he'd written to an author researching a book on the subject, Marshall read from the letter on the following. On the evening in question, Jones was in a farmhouse with some six associates, all of whom the were entertaining house. themselves. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All of whom were, All entertaining, of whom were themselves entertaining themselves in, in their, their own, own way, way and with little and concern, with little for, concern for, for Oh, stop it. Entertaining themselves in their own way. It just sounds like they're all <laughs> in the corner masturbating or something. Masturbating. It's terrible. <laughs> and with very little concern uh, for each other. I know. It's a strange point. It's saying something, isn't it? We're at the fun house entertaining ourselves in our own way with very little concern for each other. <laughs> what? You know what BJ oh, that says. wouldn't happen at your parties, would it? This used to be a fun house, but now it's full of <laughs> evil clowns. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Correct. Evil masturbatory clowns. 
It's just such a weird turn of phrase, isn't it? It's so bizarre, yes. Because I don't know if I'm led to believe that they're off doing drugs individually or, you know, with a partner or whatever else, or, you know, they're having having sex, perhaps more orgy. I mean, I don't know what to think. And that's the whole idea. I think you're just supposed to not know. Yes, it's been left open to interpretation. It's a loaded term. Mm. I think it's probably it's probably like they were doing interpretive dance, you know, Kate Bush, Wuthering <laughs> Heights style. I love it <laughs> at the Kate, fun house. Kate Bush, <laughs> that would be good. Heathcliff, it's me, it's Kathy. Yeah. I've come home. I'm so cold. Let me in your window. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he's so cold because he's dead at the bottom of the pool. That's that's. Ooh, let me have it. Let me grab your soul away. Ooh. I'm so impressed you know all the words. I didn't know Heathcliff that bit. I absolutely love that song. I could do a top to bottom. I won't won't torture anyone else further with it. Right. So they're all on the drugs, right? And they're all drinking. And it was very difficult to get a precise account of what was going on. So according to police, after carrying out what was very thorough investigation, I was satisfied that this unfortunate death was accidental and at no time did I discover anything to warrant consideration of taking criminal proceedings against this person. He reveals that there were more than three witnesses at the scene, given that no attempt was made to trace the people who left, this would seem to call into question his claim to have carried out a thorough investigation. In fact, there's no evidence anywhere that other witnesses were questioned again when they sobered up. And given that Thoroughgood was found to be in unlawful possession of drugs and admitted intending to supply them, there was clearly something to warrant criminal proceedings. The whole thing's whack. Marshall also maintained that Thoroughgood was never a suspect. He didn't have it in him to be violent. Now, I would like you to please remember this. He didn't have it in him to be violent. But his recollection seems to be at odds with the memory of PC Evans and of Thoroughgood himself, who admitted on BBC's Crime Watch program in the 90s that police had told him they came close to charging him the night Jones died. When Marshall was asked, his line was the same, I'm satisfied the coroner's verdict was true and proper. The next bit is interesting. They'll leave it to you to decide if it's in any way connected to the case. In the course of his research, Scott Jones came across a startling and previously unpublished report buried in a police file. It mentioned a murder attempt on Mrs. Joan Fitzsimmons, who had an on and off again affair with Thoroughgood. Fitzsimmons drove for her family's taxi company in Chichester, West Sussex. She had driven BJ and Keith Richards quite often and occasionally stayed with Thoroughgood at Cotchford Farm. She was also friends with Janet Lawson. Indeed, it was Joan who introduced Lawson to Tom Keylock. On the 26th, on July 26, <laughs> 1969, approximately three weeks after Brian Jones's death, Jean Fitzsimmons was the victim of vicious assault which had left her in a coma with a fractured skull and a lifetime of blindness. Her boyfriend. My God. Yeah. Three weeks after Brian Jones dies, she gets attacked. Her boyfriend, Michelle Ziade, pleaded guilty to the attack and spent four years at Broadmoor Prison before being deported back to Jordan. Scott Jones sought details through the Freedom of Information Act, but the request was rejected because it contained sexual details that could embarrass the living. 
However, they released the details when Scott Jones provided Jones' death certificate in 2002. I'm going to call her Jane Simmons, the lead singer of Kiss. However, they released the details when Scott Jones provided Jane Simmons' death certificate in 2002. (laughs) It turns out that Frank Thorogood was the primary police suspect until his wife and two friends said he was with them. Jane's brother, John Russell, said that Joan had told him that Thorogood was very persistent on getting back together with her, and Frank himself had told Russell that Joan knew a lot about the Rolling Stones that should never get out. You're right, you're right. It really does call for this one. Yes, yes, that's it. Well, you say bloke, but his name's Michelle, so. (laughs) (laughs) What was that, Shady? The poor Jordanian bloke, otherwise known as the supposed attacker. Old mate, Michelle. (laughs) Michelle always said he didn't attack Joan. The police oh. case against him recorded that his motive was a complete mystery. You were just an immigrant. You were foreign, so that'll do us for now. <laughs> You're Jordanian. You were, you, were trans, you were transgendering and the drugs were bad and they made you do strange things. I don't even think this man was on drugs. He was just some poor innocent. No, yeah. okay. no, no he was, I, don't, I don't even think this man was a man. His name's Michelle. Was the lady who was attacked... Was she- she was having an affair, was she, with Thorogood? Yes. With Frank Thorogood, right. who apparently didn't have it in to be violent. That's why I made a fuss about it. Okay. But his wife and whatever, sister or whatever, they, they were his alibi. Yes, they alibied him, but we don't know if okay. that's true or not. Okay. So that's the case of Brian Jones. A mystery or is it? Is it? All right. We hope you're enjoying our show. We'd love it if you would follow and like us on our Facebook page at Trial by Wine and share with all your family and friends. Help us get to 2,000 downloads by the 30th of January 2022 by giving us a five-star rating as it helps spread the word. We can't thank you enough for your support. Now back to the show. Yes, exactly. I, I did at the beginning we were going to do all, all the members of the 27 Club, which might take a bit of time. I've now realised they're focusing solely on BJ, but I'm good now. <laughs> yeah, no, we were just doing Brian Jones because he's the connective tissue of the theme. When you're investigating crimes, I mean, when like there's lots of things that happened sort of like the late 60s, early 70s, when people were really, really, well, excuse my French, but drug fucked because all these new drugs were out and about and everyone was sort of trying them. So they were, I mean, I use the word pickled, but they were far worse than pickled. I usually use that for those drinks a lot, but... Imagine trying to work out what the hell happened in a lot of these different oh. times with these musicians, whatever else. These people are just, just you know, everyone's just a, a mess. Everyone's trying to stay in good with the right people. I mean, for all we know, the, the police could have been total star fuckers themselves and wanting to be involved. Exactly. In, you know, they were probably big fans of the Rolling Stones. You know, it, it, it would be so hard to get to the actual truth because, I, I, you know, they yeah. weird. I reckon you're right. and So I think some of the... Um, I'm just going to go a step further, Paul. Just hold that thought. The coroner's report basically said that he had sleeping pills, PEP, alcohol, and this spot on his liver. But it didn't say he died of heart failure, and it doesn't specify that he died from drowning. You know, normally there's been water in the lungs. Uh, 
it just it's just weird that they call it death by misadventure and not death by drowning. That's the odd thing. The whole thing is really odd. Confusing, isn't it? I was wondering um, about what Carla was saying with the evidence and trying to pick through all of the, you know, drugs fucked witness testimony because I'm sure there were mm. things like um, it wasn't horseplay, but there was definitely a unicorn in the corner. And then I do recall the Grim Reaper coming from descending from the sky and, you know, there'd be all that stuff that you just know is not fact, but somewhere in yeah. their um, drug fucked testimonies there would be fact and trying to plot that out on a whiteboard would just be an absolute nightmare and i can't believe that there wasn't any ma sign of much magic mushrooms and stuff like that uh, well there was hash hash cake hash cake but no mushies that's true no because that would have yeah put him to the bottom of the pool for sure yes as would have lead weights oh yeah <laughs> The or autopsy multiple people holding his head under the water. Correct, yes. So what I, I don't know, Schmidt, so the autopsy so what is I know it's death by misadventure, but does it say what the cause of death is? Am I missing am I missing that? Or do you just because they were they sort of list the issues that he had, this is what was found, but they're not conclusively saying it's one thing? Uh from what I've read, all the autopsy said was that he had an amount of drugs and alcohol in his system. He had this purple spot on his liver, and his mm -hmm. liver was twice the size it should have been. But there was no sign of a struggle. There was no violence. No, there's no sign of violence. They don't no, think that he was no. held under the water. Well, the autopsy doesn't say that there's any sign of struggle or violence. Uh, however, there are yep. some conspiracy theories, which I alluded to at the beginning. Right. So what... While you guys think it through, let me ask you some questions. If the policeman who said there were more than the reported witnesses was correct, that's mysterious, who were the other people who were there at the time? Why is there a seeming cover-up? If it was just the local builder who killed him, why did they cover it up and why did he Hang get on. off with the drugs? Can we just explore who the other people might have been? Mm -hmm. I think we should give some answers as to who the... No, no, but I feel like Deidre Chambers would have been there. Yes, she was there. Why the statement about the management? Was the band's manager at the time there or were the other missing three maybe members of the band? Oh. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. There are lots of conspiracy theories, but this one got my attention. It's a ridiculous stretch, but you, you, met, you said something about unicorns before, and I thought it was funny. The Rolling Stones' increasing darkness at the time and their album Their Satanic Maj Majesty's Request encouraged a few to go for Rosemary's Baby. Jones was killed as a ritual sacrifice. The evidence? Jones's last photo session with the Rolling Stones became the cover for their album Through the Past Darkly. Big Hits Volume 2, which came out in September 1969. Brian's image is completely shattered in the back cover where the mirror cracks. He is also the right bottom of the five-pointed star configuration the band is laying on <laughs> the... on the insert photo. And we all know what a five-pointed star configuration is, don't we? It's a pentagram, yes. a sign of satanic mm. ritual. Oh. Deirdre Chuck. Coincidence? 
What a, what a, or maybe I'm it was just, just a scribble to him. I just love that. I just love that you said Brian Jones was a right bottom. That's that's such an English way of saying you're an ass. You're such <laughs> you're an such ass. Didn't ass. say that. I said he was on the right <laughs> bottom. Oh, it's a right bottom. He's the yes. right bottom of the five star. Yes. That's right. Yes. Correct. Yes. Oh, Brian, right. you're a right bottom. Look, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but his ex-girlfriends did say he was a bit of a shit. So you're right, he was right <laughs> bottom. Okay, so do you guys want to think about that some more while I tell you my sentencing and my view? Or do you want to do some more exploration? So I've got a theory. I don't know if you want to hear it, but um, anyway. So, I mean, there, there are drugs involved, clearly. and so. Um, the yeah, you have to kind of suspend reality a little bit to, to get through this, but bear with me. So I feel like Anna, um, Anna could breathe underwater. I don't know. I don't know whether she had gills. The the girlfriend of uh, BJ. Yep, Swedish yep. girlfriend. Swedish Swedish girlfriend who escaped to Sweden. She could breathe uh, underwater. And so she was giving Tom, is it Tom, the suspect, the fixer? Thoroughgood. No, not Thoroughgood, the other one. Pelock. Pelock. So she was, yeah, so she was giving him a BJ underwater because (laughs) she can uh, breathe underwater, so that's easy to do. And then um bj actually came out and saw anna giving keylock a bj at the bottom of the pool and started to um jump into the pool and start a fight so keylock thought that he got anna in a headlock to start punching (laughs) brian remember he's probably on drugs too and thought well i can just hold Anna in the headlock underwater for as long as I want because she can breathe underwater. But actually, he, because of the drugs, he'd grabbed BJ and got him in the headlock and was holding him underwater whilst punching Anna and then did it for too long. And because BJ wasn't Anna, he couldn't breathe underwater. And so he actually drowned through that unfortunate incident. That's what I think happened. It was an all a misadventure. It is trial by wine, and we do not need facts. <laughs> no, never let that be for the top of story. Um, right, well, the things like the sort of the two tenets that I keep coming back to are drugs and also this sort of idea that people need the person who is the star or the, the person in power, which is BJ in this case, obviously. They're better off with him being alive than dead, I think, although he had just left the Rolling Stones. So, but it was so fresh. It was only weeks after Woods, correct? Yeah, so they wouldn't know that the Rolling Stones would go on to be the most incredible thing ever. They would still think that, you know, yeah, exactly. So he's already such a huge star. So I'm in sort of two minds. I kind of think, look, I think that they were also drug addled, that it could have easily just happened and no one would have known what was going on because they were all just in, you know, their own little universe, absolutely drug bar. Entertaining themselves um, independently with exactly in the regard cor- for those around <laughs> them. <laughs> Whatever that's supposed to mean. Yeah. Yes. I know that, yeah. that's has been quite odd. A lot of the turn of phrase, it's like of the time. It's like, oh, they were skylarking. Oh, they were, you know, what was what was the term? Term, sorry? They were, they were, they were wuthering hot. 
Wuthering Heightsing, I think, is the new term that we've come up with. There's a bit of horseplay. There's definitely horseplay. Misadventure. Horsing around. But there, I think there was a lot of Wuthering Heightsing. I think for someone like Brian, who clearly was, you know, at a point where the drug use was sustained and probably not, you know, it's not like dabbling and, oh, isn't this a little bit of a giggle? Oh, let's have a little bit of a line of coke and have a little bit of a, a jolly old time. I think it'd be a little bit darker than we possibly think, you know, and you think, oh, it's a rock stars party. But, you know, if you're doing drugs all the time, it's not nice, I wouldn't think. So maybe it was a bit more morose than we realised and maybe it was just a bit of a mess and ended up, you know, being a nightmare and feeling for pool. No. If I thought anyone was potentially responsible, the only thing I can come back to is the builder and the money but that he thought he was owed. But I just think he would have thought he'd get more if we hung, had him around. I don't, I don't think murdering him was going to sort of really achieve what he wanted. And he wasn't violent if he, if he did. There's no signs of violence. Well, unless he... Yeah. But if he wanted him if dead, wanted mur murdering money, him would have achieved You're not going to get the money if he's dead. You know what I mean? If it's all about money, yeah, you'd be angry. So I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm more inclined to believe that he did do the thing to the girl yeah. if that sort of, that feels yeah. like a bit of a cover-up. But if you can't show me any signs of violence against Brian, then I, you know, I was getting the impression that the, the builder would have been, you know, it would have been a sort of, there would have been a struggle or something. I mean, what did he do? Just trip him over and he fell into the pool and that was the end of that? If he was a great swimmer, I just think the drugs have to play a bigger role. Drugs are bad. Okay. Do, do you want, do you no want me to throw, oh. just throw this in? The coroner's report. Dun, 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 dun. Can you <laughs> end it with dun, dun, dun? Okay, I'll work on it. Uh, in the coroner's report, the water found in Brian Jones's lungs was not chlorinated. It was it was fresh water. What? Why? There is a theory oh, that he was too. drowned in a trough somewhere on the property and then put in the pool. Oh, in a trough where there are horses. Yes, yes, in a horse trough. He was drowned in the horse. It was, yes, he was drowned in the horse trough. No, horse play. Oh, well, the horses did do it. Horse yes. play. Yes. <laughs> oh, long you um. <laughs> oh, no. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um, it's, it's a bit I've got mystery. a question, which is not really related to this, but is, sure. how is it that if you... If you're found at the bottom of the pool, they do find fresh water. How come there isn't any chlorinated water in there as well if you've drowned? I don't get that. Do your lungs seal off at some point? Well, see, it's an dead, interesting dead. question. And the reason, the reason, not because you're dead, the reason I was looking at that particular facet of info is because if he'd had an asthma attack, the lungs yeah. close. He wouldn't have had any water in his lungs because he wouldn't have been able to aspirate because he wouldn't be able to breathe. So the whole thing is about true? the, um, yeah, no, it is. Um, if you if you have an asthma attack underwater, gasping. If you have an asthma attack underwater, do you die from asthma or do you die from drowning? Mm, I don't know. Or but do you I die from misadventure? Or do you die from the, misadventure? Well, from what I understand, is that you North can't North breathe North. with an asthma attack. And so the, the fact that he asked for an asthma inhaler allegedly. He allegedly asked for an asthma inhaler, which was not to be found anywhere, but then shows up on the side of the pool. Suspicious. Yeah. Then but he's yeah. got fresh water in his like, I, I, the whole yeah. thing's the asthma's a red herring. The asthma's a red herring, I think. 
And Anna would know that being from Sweden, that <laughs> red herrings are delicious, yeah. especially if they're pickled. Janet Lawson would have known one or two things about these things being a nurse. Yeah. I would have thought so, yes. Uh, my first thing, when we first started this... You're not a fan of Janet, are you, Schmitty? She's let herself down professionally and you, you want to see her pay for that at the very least. It's not so much that. It's more just if this were a normal yeah. crime story, Almore's getting everyone did it. Who's the most... The nurse with the inhaler. <laughs> Inconspicuous person in would like, never why expect they exist and why they turn out to be the, the murderer. There we have it. It's Janet Lawson. Yeah. By the way, I think she's passed away and I don't think she actually did murder him. I think. Do tell. I'm a 50-50 between an a, a ordinary old, you know, drug-addled builder who just gets a bit pissed off and being Farragut and possibly, yeah. and he's, he's a bit of a front-runner, I think, for most people's uh, theories on this. Not, yeah. And I don't, not even because he said he's alleged to have said he'd done it, but I think that Obviously, he had means, motive, and opportunity. So, yeah, he was, he's my number one. But my other one is Keylock. Keylock's a dodgy fucker. It's more realistic that Keylock, uh, who was an ex-paratrooper, rumours that he'd been advised to get rid of Jones by the other band members, this idea of him orchestrating a group drowning. And I think he was a bit of an early version of Harvey Keitel. That's the cleaner in Pulp Fiction. So he did it, and to incorporate Clarky's new punishments and given the water connection, I'll go for Keylock needing to be taken to Brazil in the Amazon, go fishing, bop a log of bees. And for those of you who didn't listen to last week, or did, for those who didn't, to escape the angry bees, he jumps into a piranha-infested water and takes his own chances. Nice. Cop that, fucker. Take that, motherfucker. That's right. Um, I, I reckon he's a shifty <laughs> bastard. To say the least. Yes. He is very shifty. I, I would agree 100%. Um, but in a lot of the reading and stuff that you did, did they? how much of it went back to, you know, the Rolling Stones, the band, whether they had any involvement from afar, like whether or not they were trying to get rid of him or is that stuff that was dispelled quite quickly? Or they, they sacked him, but there's no evidence. No, I know that, but like in terms of like knocking him off, knocking him off. No, there's no evidence that they were trying to knock him off. There were theories and Keylock suggested that the band had told him to get rid of him, but he'd been encouraged to you know, deal with it with Brian. But, but yeah. no, there's no evidence that at all that okay. the band had anything to do with Because I get a bit death. confused when I think of Keylock, whether or not, who was he not responsible to, but, you know, like was, in whose pocket was he, the, the Rolling Stones management or the others or Brian? Like was it, it was possible that when Brian was part of the Rolling Stones three weeks earlier and was like the superstar, that he was, you know, his yes man. But who, whose yes man was he ultimately? The others? It's a good question and I don't really know the answer because I haven't looked into enough. But I think the thing that would answer that is what happened to Keylock after? Like how did he make his money? So if he stayed with the Rolling Stones and, and made his livelihood out of the Rolling Stones, that might suggest that, his loyalties were with the band because that's where his money was coming from. 
Um, but I'm not saying that either. And I'm not suggesting that the Rolling Stones had anything to do with Brian Jones' death. Oh. No. I'm sure But it would be way more interesting anyway. if they did. Except that I kind of suggested it earlier when I was like, maybe the band members were there. <laughs> if you want to fuck with the Rolling Stones, you know the verb that song, Bittersweet yes. Symphony, that they yes. sampled part of. Yes. Um, they, they I want to fuck them. with yes. them because clearly they don't, want to, they don't get a no. cent for any of that still. I'm sorry, yeah. clearly they've done a deal with the devil because they're so old and still going. That's okay, though, be- yeah, because they also have right. sympathy for the devil, so, you know. Well, they do. It's, it's all better in plain sight, isn't it? They're telling us. Yes. True. Yeah. I'm not going to suggest that the band had anything to do with it. It could have just been an accidental drowning. I didn't really mean them. I was sort of talking generically about their management, but, yeah, point. We so, just don't know. It's just one of those mysteries that we can make up things, yeah. and I thought it would be a good story for us. I mean, it's an excellent story. I think well. I, would, I would like to just explore the punishment a little bit more because that's what we love to do. Um, so for everyone who was there and uh, probably saw what happened, because I don't think it was like we started, you know, um, started with, all those women just happened to leave minutes before he drowned and, you know, no one happened to be there, blah, blah, blah. I think that there were a lot of people who really did see what happened and just didn't uh, tell the police what happened. And so those people should be punished by listening to the worst Rolling Stones song ever for uh, substantial periods of time. So I did a quick Google search to find out what the worst Rolling Stones song ever was. It starts off, well, when I say it starts off, lyrics include, you call yourself a Christian, I think that you're a hypocrite. You say you are a patriot, I think that you're a crock of shit. So it sounds like quite a credible song anyway. So I'm going to play a little bit of it to you. Uh, It's called Sweet Neo Con. And this could actually be about this whole night, right, from what I'm hearing. But anyway, let's play. I've never heard it before. So we're all going to listen to this for the first time, unless anyone's heard it before, in which case they're not going to listen to it for the first time. Are you ready? Quite catchy. You call yourself a Christian. <laughs> I think that you're a hypocrite. Jesus. That's not Peter Garrett. Yeah, a nut punch. That is so bad. Daddy, <laughs> old men, double nut punch. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a pension and nut punch. I think that, um, yes, 
a pension. <laughs> so you'd be belting down around about the knees. Yes, you'd punch him in the knee area and they would still end up in their throat at some oh. point. Although probably more as a, as a spot on the liver. Um, so I think that listening to that song over and over and over again for hours every day would be excellent punishment for people who uh, should have just said what the fuck happened. Was that a fairly recent song? Maybe it was done, like, was it? No. Really? I don't I think it think was, like, so. something that there was, I, yeah, no. maybe, like, evangelical Christians or something in the US, but, God, it's horrendous. Oh, Find let me see. Sweet Neo Con. Talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. I'm going to. Oh, no, released 2005, so one oh, of their right, more recent right. ones. Balling. Imagine going to a concert and hearing perform that. Oh, God. God, I know. Thanks for you'd, you'd so want to drown someone in... You'd want to drown someone in the pool. Maybe Brian Jones wrote that song and they drowned him because he wrote it, <laughs> but then they released it later anyway. Maybe. God, you're right. That is quite the punishment. <laughs> oh, come on, Paul. You can't do that to someone. A bee sting's bad. And piranhas, you know... That's much more appropriate. Making someone listen to that is just... We're not monsters. It's a I mean, much better way to go being eaten oh, by piranhas, we're, we're isn't it? Back it up. Oh, fuck me. That's kind compared to having to listen to this. Sweet Neo-Con. Jesus. I mean, what even is that name? Oh, my God. So when did you Google that as the worst and that's what came up? I, yeah, yeah, totally. Yes. And I think that... Welcome, Google. Uh, thank you, Google. I think you nailed it. I think Google nailed it indeed. You're a crawfish kid. Carla, yes, so Sammy. about your question earlier around Keylock's motivation and who was managing him, in 1971 he went his own way. Yeah. The Rolling Stones yeah. basically said, we don't need you anymore. Oh, right. And obviously this happened in 69, two years yeah. later. Yes. Yeah, he fixed it. Maybe, maybe, maybe the thing is that they went legit. They were bad, and then they went legit in 1971. They said, let's just cut off ties with everything dirty. Yeah, and I'm making that up before anyone suggests otherwise. And... Schmitty, this is trial by wine. Of course, everything is made up, apart from the fact that you actually used credible sources for this story. Carla, did you okay. sentence anyone, or did you just sort of talk about drugs and stuff? I talked about, I don't like to do that bit. So, no, I just talked about that I thought that, no, I didn't sentence is the short answer. <laughs> if you did sentence someone, who would you did sentence? You, did you accuse anyone? Did you even accuse anyone who just said they're the all on drugs? And... The builder. The, the builder, maybe. Well, Bob, look, that's a... Bob the builder. Frank, that's a very strong theory, yeah. Yeah. The builder, mm. if anybody. But, again, I was looking for signs of violence and I just couldn't see that, so I just thought mm. it was perhaps... And, until you introduced the water or whatever else, so then maybe it was the horses that did it in the... I've got to think, all if three. it was the horses, all three of us should maybe sentence the horses. Oh, now, you say Jesus. horses, plural. How do you know it was more than one horse? All right, let's just pick one <laughs> it was horse. Let's just... Well, no, we know it was, un... we know it was only one horse because it was horse play, not horses play. <laughs> You're right. Yes. What... Right, you are. One horse. It's... We're going to sentence it to a one horse race. Thank God for your with, intuition. With no finish line. I could listen to that song. <laughs> Have that song. I think, 
I'm going to send it to the knackers. Oh. oh, to the nut punchery. To the knackery. <laughs> in, in trial by one sentence world, surely there's a nut punchery, which is one of the rides. <laughs> oh, you mean our you macabre s- theme, ca- theme, yeah, park. theme park? Trial yeah, by yeah. one theme park. Nut punchery. Trial by one world. Yes. Yeah, we don't have clowns. We just have a groin area that's got testicles on it. You punch at it. Yes. I do feel like we added a new attraction today with the kangaroos as sort of like a sideshow. <laughs> yes. Oh, see, maybe it was kangaroo play, not horse play. I feel well, like... like um, adult, adult only section, a little bit, you know. Ugh. George Thorogood should be put, uh, punished to uh, playing with horses for the rest of his life, but maybe like so Brumby-style horses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. But both of the <laughs> Thorogoods... <laughs> Well, he's bad. He's bad to the bone. <laughs> Did you say so? George? I think that so they both should be uh, punished to a, a good Brumby trampling. Oh, ooh, yes, I think that would be a good one too. Thank you guys for listening to the story of Brian Jones. Until next week, I miss you already. Oh, I miss you more. Say goodbye Close your and I'll miss you. And I'll miss you Remember to always be always true. Always be true. You, hang on. No, you sung it. And then why? We, we sang it the wrong way round. Close your eyes I'll and I'll kiss you. Tomorrow I'll miss you. And on that note. That was anus. Well done. That's anus. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, guys, and I'll see you next week. Mwah. Miss you already. Thank Love you long time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron www.patreon.com trial by wine or visit our website www.trialbywine.com to donate to us your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences we really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us our cover art is by john christo and music is by beauchamp from pixabay.com